What's up, everybody? It's Trey Smith. Welcome to another episode of the College Game Time Podcast. We are the fastest growing show for the American Athletic Conference, and we're going to keep the momentum going. It's Thursday night. The season continues. I, I would say kicks off tonight, but it's technically already kicked off. So I'm just going to say it continues tonight. We've got a full slate of games, some exciting matchups, and the American Athletic Conference continues its season tonight with uh, UAB taking on NCANT and uh, um, Tulsa taking on UAPB, which just a quick reminder, and I'll remind you again at the end of the show, there will be a pregame live stream, a pregame live stream tonight, right here on the College Game Time YouTube channel. More like this evening, it'll be 5:30 Central Time, so 6:30 Eastern Time. Not sure what time zone everybody's in. But it will be a live stream just like last Saturday where we're having some Q&A, some interaction. I'll give you my two cents previewing the games and then we'll just have some conversations to get ourselves ready for a, a full lineup of college football happening tonight. Um, as far as today's episode goes, all right, we're going to dive into a few things. We're going to talk about the CFP meeting yesterday and, and, and to me the most noteworthy part of that as it impacts the American and really all of the G5. We're going to have an Oresco update. Mike Oresco finally speaks. Okay, he spoke to the media. He addressed realignment. He gave some, some um, or at least some reports show that he gave some information on what his thinking is as it pertains to the conference. We're going to get into that. Uh, and then, of course, we got Thursday Night Football. And I'm going to give you a random Trent Dilfer storyline, whether you're a UAB fan or not, just a random storyline to follow this evening. Um, but before we get into it, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, comment at the end, share it with a friend. Uh, hit the notifications button, the bell, whatever it is, all that stuff that's right down there. Just press all those buttons um, and make sure that you are locked into the College Game Time YouTube channel. And if you are listening on one of the streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, whatever, please give it a five-star rate. Please give it a five-star rate. Please leave a review, especially those of you listening on Apple right now. The analytics on Apple right now are really, really good. And I appreciate those of you who have left a rating and those of you who have left a comment. I'm just asking if you haven't, even if you don't want to type a comment, that's fine. But just go right now while you're listening, go click the fifth star. Just go click a five star. That's, it literally takes two seconds. Doesn't require anything else. <clears throat> All right, I'm off that sound. I'm off that soapbox. Let's get into today. So the CFP, uh, at CFB Heather, Heather Dinich. Uh, put a report out on Twitter X yesterday after the meetings concluded. She said, if the 6-6 model in the 12-team format ever does change in the current contract, the presidents and chancellors on the CFP board of, the, sorry, on the CFP board of managers has to unanimously agree to it. Unanimously. So that's big for the G5. If that 6-6 model is going to change, that means there has to be unanimous support from the CFP board of managers. And really, that means if it changes that that you, you would have to think somehow the G5 programs or the G5 conferences are getting some some sort of incentive to vote to change it. So I went on. The only reason why I bring that up is because I went on a tangent last week where I was talking about, you know, <laughs> Every Goliath needs a David. And I really sounded off on why it's best for college athletics to keep a seat at the table for the little guy. And uh, it was so I was pleased to see this 
regardless of how realignment is continuing to shake out, it's good to see that at least for the current contract that the 6-6 model seems to be pretty ironclad at this point. Um, but let's get to the part I know a lot of you are most interested in for this episode, and that's Mike Oresco. And there's two different reports I'm going to reference here and kind of unpack it because he's, he, I feel like he said a lot through saying a little. And if you're paying attention throughout this process and you've been following closely throughout this process, you can really piece some things together. Just if, even if you've just been watching this channel in the month of August, and I'm going to, I'm going to reference some things from several weeks ago and how they correlate to some things that Oresco said yesterday. And then there's been, uh, I've seen some, some mixed reactions to another thing that he said uh, that was reported by Ross Dellinger as well. But let's, again, using common sense, following this process to this point, like let's unpack it and get to the root of what really could be happening here. So let's start with The Athletic. Uh, Nicole Auerbach put an article up. And in that article, she's got quotes. These are direct quotes from Oresco. And he said, I've talked about how destructive this whole P5 thing is, Power 5. It's all about branding. It's all about the P5 conferences. We heard, well, Stanford and Cal have no place to go. They had a place to go. It may not be the place they wanted to go ideally, but they weren't orphans. They had a chance to go somewhere. Let me stop, pause right here. If you remember, I want to say it was three weeks ago from today, I put some information out on Twitter about information I had received. I also think three weeks ago today was when we had Jim Williams on the show discussing this as well, which basically at that point in time was that things were trending, or maybe it was Friday night when I posted this, but things were trending towards the American Athletic Conference either adding all four pack teams or none at all. Like you can go to my Twitter at I'm Trey Smith right now and look three weeks ago from today. In fact, David Smoke and the 365 crew talked about that tweet on their show that Friday. And then I was a guest the following Monday further discussing it. So this is like documented. This was, in my opinion, some of the most credible information I've received up to this point three weeks ago, which was that things were trending towards the AAC either, either uh, getting all four or none at all. I talked about the Hail Mary for Stanford to the Big Ten, and then I talked about in that same tweet that, you know, Oresco was on his A game. In other words, he was, he was, in, he was not sitting on his hands, but he was taking action. That statement I just read from this article that he made confirms that to me. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it sounds like what he's saying is, look, they had a place to go. May not be where they wanted to go, but it was here. And I'd also gotten confirmation then that there was at that point in time mutual interest. Well, if you remember, that was right on the heels of the ACC Stanford Cal to the ACC smoke kind of dying out. And I think that was on like Wednesday or Thursday. And I had made a video that Wednesday about trying to get Oregon State and Washington State to the American. 
if Stanford and Cal were going to the ACC. And it was the following day when I got some information. It was like, it, that ain't going to happen. It's going to be either all four or none at all. Now, again, realignment season, weeks are like years. So much has changed since then. But like, that was what I believe to be some very valid information. And what this tells me is that that that, that conversation was happening and that was where it was trending. But if you remember the following week, after the ACC whole thing was essentially dead, well, the next week is when you had Condoleezza Rice, George W. Bush, these political, powerful political figures start getting involved, basically begging the ACC to let these teams in. And then that's when you started seeing more uh, reports about the giving up of the revenue shares whether it was SMU giving up their full share or whether it was Cal and Stanford giving up, I think, what, 70% of their share. So what he's saying is, yeah, they had a chance. And then in the rest of the statement, he says, there's this desperation now because of the P5 branding. That's really what's going on. I understand the issue of money and it's based on TV deals, but guys are willing to go for virtually nothing because they feel like they have to have that. They have to have... They feel like they have, they need, they feel like, sorry, they feel that they need that branding, that power five branding. And I've talked about it right here on the channel, that power five branding. Where is it relevant nowadays? It's relevant in recruiting. Recruiting is the lifeblood of every program. That's why if a reverse merger could be done with the current pack and retain that auto five status, which essentially is power five. That's why I believe that would be the best course of action i don't want to i don't want to rabbit trail now but what i want to stay on i want to stay focused here because basically what aresco just said if we're reading between the lines was they had an opportunity here and it even sounds almost like we were making some progress but there was so much of a desperation from stanford and cal's viewpoint that they needed power five branding that they went and called in the reinforcements, Condoleezza Rice, to start making calls to the ACC and start figuring out how can we essentially give up revenue shares to kind of financially get our way in. So that's one thing. Then we have Ross Dellinger. He put a report on Twitter. He said, Mike Oresco says the AAC is evaluating, in quotes, potential expansion targets in Washington state and Oregon state. And then in quotes, he put kicking the tires. He has an invite to visit those campuses and will quote, probably do it. But he noted that further discussion on expansion among his league members is needed. Okay. Let's unpack this one. Now there's been sort of a divided response to this particular tweet from Dellinger. You have people saying, oh, Oresco's not evaluating. He's begging those teams to come. He's begging those teams to come. And then other people are saying, especially on the American side, oh, kicking the tires. He should be much further along than kicking the tires. Couple thoughts I want you to consider. Number one, Think about what I just said about that information that I had three weeks ago that I released right here on this channel and on Twitter. This aligns with that. The thinking up to this point likely has been, we need to get all four, whether it was through some sort of merger, whatever. And according to the information that I received, 
I keep, yeah, three weeks ago, what the person told me was at that point in time, it wouldn't make sense for Oresco to only add Washington State, Oregon State. Now, the tune around that has changed over the last three weeks, but that was that information I had. I got, I got, a, I got a DM and then a conversation is where that information came from. A DM and then a conversation on the phone by, by what I believe to be a very reliable source. Again, though, does that mean it's a fact? No. Does that mean it's 100% truth? No, but I'm just saying as, as this is coming out from Oresco, to me, it kind of affirms that information at that point in time because it matches up with the timeline. So I guess what I'm saying is the number one thing is to consider is that most of the mindset probably or focus to this point for expansion has been on all four. And then now it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's evaluate, you know, how we can make this work if it's just two. You know, that's where I was talking about last week. If I was a Resco, I would look at selling westward expansion, but maybe that's not maybe that's not his plan. I'm not the one running the conference. Uh, another thing to consider, number two, Michael Resco is not going to give all his cards. He's not going to show all of his cards to the media. So maybe they are way further along. Maybe they are close to signing the dotted line. And nothing has leaked out. And so, of course, what's he going to say? Yeah, we're kicking the tires on that, evaluating what that would look like. Still got to talk to our conference members, make sure everyone's on board with it. You know, there's an element to this, too, of posturing yourself as a businessman. You don't want to look like the desperate conference that needs these teams. You want to posture yourself as we're, we, we would be a, a desirable landing spot for both of your programs. And the way you posture it, this is a business one-on-one is you, you, you establish yourself as the one that, 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 that is, is, is at the advantage. In other words, it's a privilege to come join our conference. You don't posture yourself as, Oh, I just really hope we get in. I just hope we really get these two teams in. We really, really need them. Especially if we lose SMU because the truth is that's not true. Anyways, you don't need those two teams. Even if you lose SMU, you could stand pat with the 13 you have, get the exit fee money, double down your investment, and still have a quality competitive conference, and then maybe look to use some of those additional funds to expand in the future. So I, I would say one is, is consider the information that I received from several weeks ago, which take it with a grain of salt if you want. Two, understand Mike Oresco is not going to show all of his cards to the media, Three, whether SMU stays or goes is going to have an impact on what Mike Oresco in the American Conference could offer these two teams. Now, I think you have a, a, a point you could sell one way or the other. I think if SMU leaves, it, it sweetens the financial pot of what you could offer because of that exit fee money you could demand. But if SMU stays, I think it also gives you a selling point of, hey, here's another Texas school, quality Texas school, that you, we could, we could work with the scheduling model, you know, work with the scheduling module, model, whatever, with the Texas teams, it's, it's, it'd be four Texas teams if SMU stays, plus Tulsa and then Wichita for basketball. <clears throat> and so I think like, SMU staying or going, I'm not going to say that's holding up any negotiations, but what I'm saying is, is to be fair, 
Mike Oresco, as commissioner of the conference, needs to know what's going to happen there so that he can really know what he's selling to these two programs. Does that make sense? Um, and then finally, this is my last thing to consider, right? So four points to consider on this whole kicking the tires and evaluating, right? One is the information I received three weeks ago. Two is knowing he's not going to show all his cards. Three, knowing him needing to know if SMU's in or out so that he can, and he did say there's a contingency plan. That was another thing that came out. There, there's contingency plan if SMU leaves. And I put on Twitter, like, I'm okay if that contingency plan is negotiating a 20 to $25 million uh, exit fee and then standing pat at 13 teams. I'd be fine with that. Anyways, that'd be three. And then number four is this. Like, the narrative, the pack teams, or I should say Oregon State and Washington State at this point, because obviously Stanford and Cal are still waiting on the ACC, but the narrative that's going around right now is that they're going to try and rebuild the conference. Now, I've adamantly expressed the hurdles, the difficulties, why I don't think that's a feasible option given the timing, all that stuff. Reiterated it all on yesterday's episode. But if that's really where their head is at, why is Mike Oresco going to waste his time right now trying to almost negotiate with the conference that's just dead set on trying to attack his? Because where, where's the first place they're going to look to rebuild the pack? The American Athletic Conference. They're not looking to the Mountain West first. They're looking to the American Athletic Conference. They're looking at AAU institutions. They're looking at brands. And yeah, they're obviously going to look at the Mountain West as well, but they also know the buyouts with the Mountain West are a little bit trickier. All the teams that you see them looking to for a rebuilt pack are right now American athletic teams. You think Oresco doesn't know that? So there's got to be an element of, okay, I don't want to go into the lion's den, so to speak, and negotiate with someone that really their first option is to try to take out what I've got. So listen, those four things I'm just saying as points to consider, right? Like things to think about, again, as this information continues to run rampant and change by the moment. Um, okay. Let me know your thoughts on that in the comments. If you're watching on YouTube, you know, um, how do you take those comments that Oresco said either in the athletic report or in the Dellinger report? You know, obviously I gave you my two cents on it. I'd love to know yours. And then finally, before I finish today's episode, uh, I'm gonna give you my random storyline of the night. I, I'm a, I'm a football nerd. I'm a fan nerd. I always like looking for just random little storylines to follow about different matchups. Um, obviously a game like UAB and NCA&T, it's not really like high on anyone's radar unless you're a fan of one of those two teams. It's going to be on ESPN Plus and with some of the loaded matchups that are, that are uh, set for tonight, that one's probably not going to get a ton of eyes on it, but just something as an American Athletic Conference fan or if you're a UAB fan listening right now, this may be something you don't know, but Trent Dilfer, head coach of UAB, making his college football head coaching debut against NCA&T's Vincent Brown, who is also a former NFL player like Trent Dilfer, okay, making his college head coaching debut. But I did a little research, 
This will not be the first time these two coaches have been on opposite sidelines as competitors. So, of course, when I saw they both played in the NFL, I wanted to see, okay, did they ever play against each other? Well, Vincent Brown's last two seasons in the league, and he spent his whole career with the Patriots, were Trent Dilfer's first two seasons in the league. And there was never any crossover. There were never ever a head-to-head matchup in, in preseason or the regular season. But they did have a matchup where they were on opposite sidelines. And I thought this was kind of, kind of cool because it was in uh, 2006, okay? And it was a preseason game, the Dallas Cowboys versus the San Francisco 49ers. Now, the Dallas Cowboys, this was the final year of the Bill Parcells era. And he had a newly hired inside linebackers coach named Vincent Brown. This was actually Vincent Brown's first coaching job in the big leagues. I think prior to that point, he had spent a couple years in the high school ranks, but this was his first like assistant's job at a high level. And he was the inside linebackers coach for the Dallas Cowboys in 2006. Well, on the 49ers sideline was Trent Dilfer who if those of you are, if you just are a mega NFL fan, you may know this, but that was the season the 49ers traded for Trent Dilfer earlier in the year, in, in like May, I think, of 2006, to come in and be sort of a mentor to Alex Smith, who was a first overall draft pick the year before. So in theory, this may have been Trent Dilfer's first, like, I don't know, scratching the surface of the coaching profession when he was brought in, even though he was technically a player and he was a quarterback on the roster, a big part of why he was brought in was to be kind of a pseudo assistant coach and mentor to this young, hot, you know, top draft pick that they were hoping would be the next, you know, Joe Montana. And so here he is on one sideline in that role. And then you got, um, uh, Vincent Brown on the other sideline in his first season as an assistant at the big league. So, so you have that matchup back in 2006. Fast forward, you know, what are we at? 17 years later. And now they're both going to be making their head coaching debuts on opposite sidelines. You may think that's too random to even think is cool. As someone who is a sports nerd, I thought it was cool. Wanted to share it. Didn't know if you knew that. If you're a UAB fan, did you know that? Did you know that the, uh, Trent Dilfer and Vincent Brown do have that sort of history there? And then, of course, it's the Cowboys 49ers, one of the all-time rivalries in NFL history. And, yeah, I get it. It was 2006. It was a preseason game. No no, whatever. But And I think that might have been the preseason game to open the season. So kind of like two guys when they're in their first real, like, you know, kind of their first run of the mill in a coaching-esque role, even though Dilfer was technically still a player, um, you know, to open the season in 2006 for the NFL preseason. And then now fast forward, they're making their head coach debuts. Anyways, you may think that's stupid. I thought it was cool. So I wanted to share. And it's my podcast, so I can say what I want. Uh, Just a final reminder, come back this evening, 5.30 Central Time. We will be on for roughly an hour, hour 15, uh, previewing the games, uh, previewing Tulsa and UAB and just having some general Q&A. If you were on Saturday, you, you know it's a lot of fun. We, we had a good time, and uh, I'll make sure that we end it uh, with plenty of time before uh, kickoff. So that's it for me today. Trey Smith, College Game Time.